to Fresh Image. Fresh Image is a nonprofit Catholic ministry committed to providing individuals and communities with resources to facilitate the full flourishing of the image of God in each and every single human person. Not only will you find hundreds of articles, convenient audios and presentations on our beautiful faith, but also catechetical resources to be used in the classroom, at the parish, and at the kitchen table. Today, we are happy to present Fresh Image Gospel Reflections from our founder, Tony Crescio. Tony reminds us that it is when we look into the mirror of Scripture that we discover the unique image of God we have each been created to be. My dear friends in Christ, having celebrated the resurrection of Christ over the last 49 days, we come now to the 50th day, Pentecost. On this day, we commemorate the fulfillment of the promise made by our Lord to his disciples, that at his request, the spirit of truth would come, not only into our midst, but into our very being, so that we who were once estranged from our Creator might become the children of God. And just as we need the constant care and attention of our earthly parents in order to grow to physical maturity, so the Spirit comes with gentle presence and tender voice so that our physical maturation might simultaneously be sanctified and bear the fruit of a new creation, channeling the divine love the Spirit gives and that now dwells within us to the world. To be sure, just as with any growing process, there will be setbacks. As we learn to walk, we are sure to stumble. And as we learn to live lives of self-sacrificing love, we are sure to succumb to moments of self-interest. Yet, the Spirit's presence remains with us, patiently guiding and correcting, at times whispering kind words of encouragement, and at others sternly rebuking our self-obsession, but always with the aim of helping us become ever more perfect reflections of the love our God has for all He has spoken into being, so that every passing moment, marks one step further down the road to perfect unity between Creator and the Created, between the Father and His adopted daughters and sons. In order to appreciate the significance of the momentous event we celebrate today, it is necessary to have the proper perspective. In order to gain this vantage point, it will be necessary to go back to the very beginning, that is, to the creation of the world, and more specifically, to the creation of our first parents. Only in going back, mentally, as it were, to the genesis of the human family, can we begin to appreciate the regenerative grace gifted to us today. For no remedy can be fully appreciated, nor will it be willingly, much less eagerly accepted, if the one who ails is not first made cognizant of their enfeebled state. Thus, let us embark on a journey of remembrance by attending to the revealed word of God speaking to us of our creation and the subsequent events taking place in our genealogical history that necessitated our salvation or recreation. In Genesis 1, we find the poetic hymn of creation. Through the text, it is as though our Creator sings of the harmonious procession and order of creation in its intended form. We hear of light, sea, and land, all called forth into existence, as if the Creator was announcing its presence to the void and taking pleasure in its echoing back the glory of their Creator. Yet the Creator does not stop here. He goes on filling these various habitats with the living presence of various creatures, birds of the air, fish of the sea, and creatures upon the land appropriate to their realm, each creature contributing by virtue of its own unique nature to the cascading melody initiated by the God who speaks, let there be. 
Imagine our creator, with the heart of a child at work in creation, contriving the most bizarre and wondrous creatures such that only the simple mind of a child would find pleasure in. And yet, after calling forth the diversity which the world presents to us, he is not satisfied. He has in mind one more movement which will make his opus complete. Thus, the Creator calls forth one unlike the rest, a creature not compelled to sing to its Creator by instinct, but by love, and who is called in love to care for and enjoy the melody of creation with its Maker, for it, in its entirety, is the hymn of His loving presence. It is this final creature whose lineage we descend from, the human person, impressed with the image of its Creator, making it capable of receiving the love through which it has been created and responding in kind through the gifts of reason and free will. This creature hears the voice of its loving creator command it, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Hear our God say, Care for all that I have given you, Relay my love to them and teach them to dance to the melody of love which inheres within them. Imagine the world aglow with the presence of our God, every last living thing blazing with the fire of his love, and with every step trailed by streaks of the radiant presence of the divine which animates their entire being. This, my dear friends, is the world as it was intended to be. Of course, we need not even look outside the windows nor step outside the doors of our homes to realize that this is not the world as it is. Our every moment reminds us, as St. John Henry Newman said, that we are implicated in some terrible aboriginal calamity and that we are out of joint with the purposes of our Creator. In a world so constantly flooded with information, we are continually bombarded with evidence of our brokenness, yet in our pride, refuse to acknowledge it, saying, I'm okay, you're okay. Nevertheless, even as the world tries to convince itself that there is nothing fundamentally wrong with us, we are inundated by messages on all sides of impending doom of one kind or another. And if we are content with the way things are, with rampant and festering division among the human family, spurred on by pride and greed in their many manifestations from the home to the marketplace, we will continue singing the same tired dirges, and our God will not force us to do otherwise. He will continue to walk with us, training us to use our freedom for love, real love, not the false love, which Augustine says would be better called hate. God cannot do otherwise, for it is who he is. He has done so through all of time, and he will not change. The abiding and unwavering love of God is precisely what is revealed in our first reading for today. And today, before digging deeper into the text, it is altogether appropriate to begin with a very brief and basic lesson in Scripture. For the mere fact that we sit and humbly attend to these words is evidence of God's love at work within us. From the Christian perspective, all of Scripture is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Consequently, the mere writing of these words in the Acts of the Apostles by Luke the Evangelist testifies that Christ promised to send the Holy Spirit, as mentioned by both the Gospel of John and Acts, chapter 1, has been fulfilled. Moreover, the fact that Christians believe that these are God's words to us is additional testimony of the Holy Spirit's ongoing action in history. For faith is a grace, a gift that is the result of the interior action of the Holy Spirit. Thus, in the very dynamics of the writing, proclaiming, and attentive listening, we are caught up in God's ongoing work of salvation in real time. Salvation history is playing itself out even as we consider these words, for God is drawing us into deeper relationship with Him through them. 
This is in direct keeping with the content of the reading as well. For the imagery used by Luke in recounting the event of Pentecost is meant to remind us of God's work throughout history, suggesting to us that what God does for us now in drawing us closer to himself through these words is what God has been up to for untold ages. We might begin by considering the miracle of tongues. We are told that after the Holy Spirit had descended upon the twelve, they began to speak such that all who were present were able to understand them. In bewilderment, those in the crowd ask, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues of the mighty works of God. Within this passage, there are three important elements to make note of. First, the various nations mentioned make obvious to us that those who are present have been gathered from all parts of the world. Second, in a multilingual world, it was not uncommon for people to be conversant in a common language, for instance, Koine Greek, the lingua franca of the day. Yet the people hear the message spoken in a way they can understand intimately, in their native tongue. In other words, the language their mothers would have spoken to them since even before they were born. Thus, a deep level of intimacy is signified by the event. Third, we ought to consider the source of confusion for the one asking the question. It is bewilderment at hearing a foreigner speak his own language, yet intelligible not only to him, but to all those who come from all over the world, each in their own language. In these three factors, we are meant to see the reversal or undoing of the Tower of Babel, and therefore, it is beneficial to recall that event now. In chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, we are told that the whole earth had one language and the same words, and that the human family decided to settle in one place together, saying to each other, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly, and let us build ourselves a city, otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Already we run into problems, as indicated both by the action taken and even more clearly by the words spoken by the human family to one another. Let us. But to see this, we have to recall God's creation of the human family in Genesis 1. Unlike in the creation of the rest of the cosmos, God begins creation of the human person by saying, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. Let us, God says. In the plural pronoun us, the fathers of the church saw the Trinity indicated. After calling the human family into being, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Fill the earth, and subdue it, God says. In other words, God says to the human family, Spread out, and bring order to creation, by caring for it with the same love I have given you, by calling you into being. Now, when we contrast the dynamics of the two episodes, we find a profound lesson in spiritual physics. The decision made by the human family is a direct violation of the command given by God to us at creation, to fill the earth and subdue it. We don't think so, says the collective human family at Babel. We're going to stay right here together. This act of disobedience is a sign of what had taken place in the hearts of our human ancestors. The disobedience indicated that they had rejected their creaturely mission, as given by God, and thus, at bottom, their creatureliness. This reality is betrayed by their language, which mimics 
or better, perversely imitates God's own words when creating the human person. They say to one another, let us build ourselves a city, precisely so that we might not have to fill the earth and subdue it. The human family, in other words, has determined to make itself God, to create reality and determine its meaning for itself. They have become plagued by the disease of pride, the disease which makes one foolishly think that one is higher than life or above reality and can therefore determine it, as revealed by the Latin equivalent, superbia, super meaning above and bios meaning life. The pride of the human family, their sense that they are above it all as gods, is revealed in what they decide to do next. The text goes on. They said to one another, Come, let us build ourselves a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Let us take heaven for ourselves, say the human family. This attempt at self-deification is responded to by God in a manner analogous to what took place in Eden after the sin of Adam and Eve, who too had sought to determine reality for themselves by disobeying God's command. And here too we find a profound lesson in spiritual physics. God says, Let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech, and thus they were scattered over all the face of the earth. The lesson here is twofold. Sin always causes division. But, so merciful is our God that his punishment this side of eternity is always remedial. In scattering the human family, God actually helps them to fulfill their created purpose, to fill the earth and subdue it. What is extraordinary is that when we read the account of Pentecost in light of the Tower of Babel, and both in light of the first story of creation, is that we see God's undying and loving concern for the human family not only at Pentecost, but in addition, retrospectively, in the event of Babel as well. For then, the human family, already living after the fall, lacked the strength of will to live out the command given to them, so cut off as they had become from the grace of God through sin. However, now, through the incarnation, death, and resurrection, and ascension of the Son, and the giving of the Holy Spirit, the human family has renewed access to the grace that enables them to live out the law, which is summed up in the twofold command to love God and neighbor. Consequently, the human family is able to live once again in harmony, not by their own striving, not by seizing heaven for themselves, but by heaven coming down to them through the descent of the Spirit of love, which dwells in and among them. That the Holy Spirit descends precisely to enable the human family to live out the twofold command to love God and neighbor, which is the summation of the entire law, is made more obvious when we consider that the Jewish celebration of Pentecost was a celebration of God's giving of the law through Moses at Sinai. In fact, the imagery of the mighty winds and tongues of fire used by Luke is meant to echo the imagery of that scene as presented in Exodus 19 and as commented on by the Jewish writer Philo, a contemporary of the New Testament authors, who describes angels carrying the message of God spoken to Moses on the mountain on tongues to the people below. Yet, the law as given at Sinai was but a first installment of the law that would be fulfilled in Christ, who in his life and teaching would bring it to its perfection, and by the sending of the Holy Spirit, enable those who receive the gift of God to do so as well. This is evidenced by our gospel reading for today. In the 20th chapter of his gospel, we find John's version of the giving of the Holy Spirit to the disciples. There, we hear Jesus tell his disciples, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, 
they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. See the magnanimity of our God. By bestowing upon his disciples the spirit of love, Christ gifts them with the power to heal division caused by sin and that weakens and plagues the human family in countless ways. My friends, today we celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit, a gift which has the power to renew not only our lives as individuals, but the whole world. Only the Holy Spirit can simultaneously burn away the cancerous tumors of sins and vices within us and cauterize the wounds we have inflicted upon ourselves individually and collectively as the result of living with these diseases. We receive the divine life of grace through the Holy Spirit at our baptism and are confirmed or strengthened with His presence in confirmation. As Christians, our mission remains the same as that given to the human family by God at the beginning. We are to fill the earth and subdue it. We are to spread across the globe and bring the world into the order of love by living in accordance with the divine love that has been poured out into our hearts, the Holy Spirit. And when we do, when we live by the fire of divine love, we become agents of healing for the whole human family, drawing all together in unity and to be forged into one diverse harmony as foreshadowed on that first Pentecost. Thank you for listening to this week's Gospel Reflection. For more resources, please visit us at freshimage.org. And remember, when you live a fresh life, you will be a breath of God's fresh, life-giving air to the world.